new movie Joker addresses mental health in a very fascinating way, and to be honest, it's just artistically brilliant. So that is what we are going to be talking about a little bit on today's episode of Bed Letter. So welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Christian Ashleman, and this is the podcast where we chat a little bit about human psychology and mental health, social change, and cultural trends. So this is the 12th episode of Bed Letter. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on the previous 11 episodes or what you hear on this episode, be sure to follow on whatever platform you prefer to listen to your podcasts on. Bed Letter can be found on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and a whole bunch of other podcasting platforms as well. And uh, subscribing on those platforms is definitely the best way to stay up to date as new episodes are released, for sure. So another way you can also kind of stay up to date with the show and with what I've got going on is by following me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. It's just at C. Ashleman. It's at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. And those places are also a fantastic place to generate discussion, you know, talk about the things that you think about what we talk about on the show, especially for this one where it's, uh, you know, a very hot topic. So for today's episode... Um, we're going to be focusing on the movie The Joker. just barely came out recently, uh, a couple weeks ago. And this episode isn't really... Like, my banter here isn't really a review of the movie. Like, I'm not going to give it a, you know, whatever, at a, a score out of 10 or whatever. You can go look at, you know, Rotten Tomatoes or whatever other place for that. Um, this isn't really like a review of what I think was wrong or right. Um, it's more of just a discussion about the things I really appreciated about the movie. Um, just like little things that I noticed and little things about it that are kind of worth mentioning or talking about, I guess. And so that being said, there are definitely, definitely going to be spoilers in this podcast. So if you are, if you have not seen the movie and you do not want it to be spoiled for you, I, you know, I've warned you now. Um, I'm going to be talking about some specific scenes from the movie, uh, beginning, middle, and end. And so this is very, it's going to have some spoilers in this here. So if you haven't seen it and you really want to see it, go see the movie. Go out as soon as you can and see it because it's a fantastic film. Um, and see it while it's still in theaters because it's great on the big screen. And uh, yeah, and then come back and then give it a listen for sure. So. I wanted to do this episode because I really, I loved this movie. I think that, uh, and, and part of that has to do with, you know, I, well, just obviously the fact that I enjoyed it so much, but also because it has so much to do with mental health in this movie. It's such, like, it's such the, such a centerpiece to this film and, and the way that this film is viewed. And so I felt like I almost had to, since my podcast is all about, you know, cultural trends, I guess, and, you know, all this other stuff, and psychology. I mean, this is the epitome of a, of a trending thing right now, and it has a lot to do with mental health. And so I kind of felt like I had to kind of throw my hat in the ring of, of other creators who are doing similar things um, and, and put something out that, that kind of just, I don't know, discusses my thoughts on, on, the, on the movie. Because, you know, I went to the movie, it made me think, it made me think a lot. It's one of those movies where you walk out and, you know, you feel it. You know, you don't just view it and then go home and that's it, right? You never think about it again. It's just like, oh, that was a decent movie, whatever. Moving on. There was a lot of things that you know I thought about for the next day, the next two days, three days after, and even more. And 
you know movies that make me make me do that i i always hold in high esteem because they they held my attention not just for the length of the film but for you know days or weeks or months afterward as well enough to potentially even go and see it you know see that film again either in theaters or 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 when it comes out on you know comes out to be viewed you know at home so um, I thought that the movie very well, like visually expressed a lot of interesting things, especially visually expressing and audibly expressing some very interesting views of mental health and some, you know, negative views of like negative mental health stuff, like depression, anxiety, stress, like all these different things. It it visually and audibly expressed some very interesting artistic points about those things. And I kind of want to start off with how I thought they they represented the mental health, first of all. And, and, and during the second part of the episode, I'll kind of get into the artistic side and what I appreciated on the artistic side of the, of the film. But just in specifically talking mostly about the mental health in the film, um, I really loved that, you know, throughout the entirety of the film, it was a very personal viewpoint that the movie took. It wasn't, you know, an outside view looking in on depression and and stress, anxiety, you know, um, and all these other mental illnesses that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But it's it's from the inside looking out. It's very consumed. The movie is very consumed by Joker. He is the centerpiece, and you are in his mind. You're in his experience throughout the film. And I really like that that inside looking out instead of the outside looking in because in this way, we are able to see this gradual descent into madness so much better, right? Because when you're on the outside looking in, oftentimes that descent doesn't, uh, doesn't really seem, you know, very gradual. It seems very, very sudden, kind of like this unbelievable, and when I say unbelievable, I literally mean like not believable plummet from sanity into madness through like a big act right through a big violent act of of something and that's and that's kind of like what it's like when you're on the outside looking in you just see this person who all of a sudden does this awful thing and it's like how could that person do that how could they possibly do that thing but when you're on the inside looking out you get all of this this background information you get all of this you know exposition about what led up to these exact specific events and potentially what were the causes of those exact specific events and you know this in the movies is specifically for joker all of these things lined up very well to make that inside looking out perspective very understandable almost to the point where we're rooting for him even though he's honestly like he's committing awful things you know he shoots these people on on the on the train he's taking you know he he kills these people and yeah they're assaulting him whatever but like he just straight up kills them he you know he is has the the whole interaction with his friends the one of the other violent scenes with his friend where he kills one of his friends and and like he's he's quite insane and in normally looking on the outside looking in you wouldn't ever root for someone like that because you know it's they're committing like horrible horrific acts of violence and and murder and all of this stuff but when we're on the inside and we're kind of seeing the exposition we get this very interesting view that kind of makes us start to root for the bad guy in a way which i loved how they portrayed this that in the movie it's so well done to where in my opinion at least you are you're you're rooting for him so heavily throughout the film 
almost rooting for his madness in a way too. It's it's very interesting, and they do that very well, just with like the buildup of everything. You know how he's fired from his job, but he isn't just fired because he did something. You know exactly. You know he had the sign stolen from him right at the beginning of the film by the kids who run by. And and just like all of these horrible things that are happening to him, and obviously the part when he has the gun and he's dancing around in the hospital and it falls out of his pocket, like obviously that was dumb of him to bring the gun to the hospital. But given the circumstances of how he's been mugged, beaten up, kicked, like it almost makes sense for him to be almost scared to be out in society and then take that gun with him because we're given all this other exposition. Whereas if you look at that event of him being in the hospital with the gun and having it fall out when he's in the child ward doing the dancing and stuff, that act in a vacuum, that looks terrible and awful. But given all the other exposition, it's like, okay, I kind of get why he has it. He still shouldn't have had it, but I I understand now. And, uh, you know, another thing that that I really appreciated about the movie is that it showed really how devoid of happiness he really was and i think that when you're kind of on the outside uh looking in at depression and especially in in movies and in even in real life um a lot of times it doesn't quite i don't know it doesn't quite make sense of how somebody can actually be completely devoid of the feeling of happiness and like the feeling of hope and i think this movie showed really well that that void within him of 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 how he did not have any really happiness to draw from he didn't i mean there's sometimes where he's in the beginning of the movie when he's taking his medication and you know he's trying to he sticks his fingers in his mouth and makes himself smile and stuff but it's just not happening for him and i think that you know another interesting counterpoint is that no one no one in reality is happy all the time people that are that are super giggly and and bubbly people they're not nobody is happy all the time that's that's an impossible emotion to have constantly and if if you did have it constantly it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as special right and so i think that this this film does the service of showing this happiness like discrepancy to where he either perceives that he should be happy all the time or that he knows that you know others experience happiness in whatever way that they experience it he sees that out in society and his there's this discrepancy where he doesn't experience any happiness and so he's kind of disconnected from society in that way and he kind of is ostracized by himself and by those around him because he doesn't he's seen as weird he's seen as strange and he's just grim and unhappy and you know i think that's kind of where his societal like disconnect sort of begins is that he can't He's not like feeling the mo- the emotions that he feels like he should be experiencing, especially given that he is trying to become a comedian where you, you know, the goal is to make people laugh and be happy. So I think that's kind of where his, the disconnect within him begins is, is on this, you know, happiness discrepancy here. And, uh, you know, another aspect that I think it really showed very well, very well is this idea of attention, Right. I think that, you know, obviously innately within humans, we need attention. We crave attention. And this isn't always a bad thing. Obviously, it's a it's a good thing to an extent. Obviously, I mean, everybody needs attention and there's obviously positive and negative attention, good and bad attention. You know, as a child, you need attention from your parents, and that's kind of how you learn, you know, somewhat learn like right from wrong, like I'm praised for for doing well on this thing in school, but like I'm 
I'm I'm either ignored or uh, I mean or just given negative attention for doing you know bad or incorrect things, and um, and so there's this there's this huge theme of attention in this movie I think and oftentimes within humanity as well as what we see is when humans aren't getting the positive attention that is the right that's the good kind of attention that's that's helpful in in helping a person's life become better um oftentimes humans will settle for bad attention all right because any attention is better than no attention at all nothing is worse than being completely ignored by everybody and so they set people settle for bad attention negative attention and we see this all the time in kids like i said a moment ago um you know, when a kid is not getting any attention for doing any of the right things, whether he be succeeding in school or whatever X thing is that's good, and he gets, you know, just a, a subtle like, oh, good job, Jimmy, you know, whatever. When when that's all he gets, just basically no attention for any of his good deeds, he's going, he st- they start to act out and do bad deeds that will result in getting the parent's attention where they kind of, the parent has to interfere because their kid beat up another kid at school or you know whatever the thing is that's that's a negative experience that's they're going to get attention for that so like i said any attention is better than bad attention so we'll settle for bad attention i think that's shown prevalently in this movie and and obviously it, it kind of shows this because you know there's obviously the line in the in the film where he says no one no one used to notice me but now they're starting to and it's because and they're not really necessarily knowing him it's it's it's, I mean, he's associating his face, and he—he's the one that committed this crime where he shot these people on this on the on the uh, train, right? And he doesn't even care at all that it took killing three people to get any of this attention at all. He doesn't care that it took like stealing, you know, killing these these, taking the lives of these guys in the brutal manner that he did. He doesn't care that it took that to get to the point where he's getting attention. So it kind of shows this theme very well in this book. I mean, there's even the part where he's walking in his like delusion with this with this girlfriend of that he has but doesn't have. You know, he walks up to the newsstand and he sees like the front page of this uh, news article that's talking about the murders, and it has a very you know creepy clown face on it, and he's like making faces of the clown and like just happy that he's in the newspaper when obviously it's not him, like it's not his face exactly. But it's like he knows that he's that he's the guy that did that, so he's getting the attention. It's it's fulfilling him in that way. And I mean, furthermore, he also you also see that when he is watching the show, the Murray Murray's you know the talk show, and it, there's that section where it talks about where it, Murray plays the clip of him trying to do his stand up comedy. And everybody's laughing at it, and they're making fun of it, and that's the whole purpose that Murray shows that clip. But in that moment, you know, Joker doesn't really care that they're making fun of him. It's more so that he's just happy that something that he's done, his stand-up is being shown on the Murray show, right? Like, that's one of his dreams. And so he doesn't necessarily even care that that it, it's this negative attention. It's just attention, and that's what he's craving. That's what he wants, is to be noticed. So I really, I really liked how they represented that whole attention-seeking thought pattern in this in this film is really really well done and i think that this movie also illustrates so well a reoccurring theme that we have on this show bed letter is that you know i i've talked about this many times is that it's never just one thing right things are not caused by just this one specific uh, tiny this one thing right 
it's not just mental health isn't just oh look at joker's depression and his descent into madness you know and his sadness right like there's all these factors that play into his descent into madness and and losing his sanity and i mean i think the show you know obviously it shows depression and sadness yes but like millions of people suffer from that kind of of sad, that ailment every day and they don't wind up losing completely losing their sanity right there's a lot more things that play into that for joker specifically than just so you know someone than just being depressed and so i think the show it shows you know depression it shows you know like i said a second ago attention seeking and how that plays and i think it shows anxiety really well with his with his comedy career and how he's you know wanting to make it but he hasn't like broken through or really even seen success or really i mean full really even fully put himself out there i guess we kind of see it for a moment when he tries to do a stand up and just starts laughing but you know his anxiety about his his career and what he wants to do and we see that his anxiety with like his relationship with his mom and how there's a lot of turmoil there because she's not only is she experiencing like delusions and hallucinations and just like she's kind of off her rocker but she's, you know, there's the whole sequence where she is saying that Joker's dad is Mr. Wayne, right? And so there's like that whole part and there's the anxiety there and the stress involved with that. And then there's this whole like this whole section that's super important, I think, as well for the for the sake of the Joker story, at least, where it talks about how influential his childhood rearing was, like how that environment was so toxic that it really was one of the a major one of the major factors for how he turned out as an adult right i mean there was there's the article that he sees where his mom actually stood by and allowed as his adoptive dad is like beating him and she just allows this to happen and he walks away with severe head trauma and all of these things and then there's the sequence where they tell about how he was like handcuffed to a radiator and like all these awful awful things that happened in his childhood and how they kind of play into how he is resulting as an adult and then also the movie goes and shows you know the the whole aspect of delusion and hallucination and how kind of stress and the stress of society and the stress of trying to exist and fit in and all of these you know adult roles and all this stuff kind of results in this delusion that he has i mean even like the hallucinations where he's like you know out with this out with this girl and you know he's making her laugh and she's laughing at his comedy and and she's out and i mean she's right next to him when he sees that newspaper thing and they go out to out to dinner and all these things but all of that comes crashing down when he goes into her apartment and she's like who the hell are you and you know we realize that it's it's all been a delusion he's he's completely been hallucinating all of these experiences and making them up to feel like he's somehow fitting in within society. And then also um, the film shows like embarrassment and and the idea of being singled out from the pack and being made fun of while you're singled out from the pack, but also just that feeling of disconnectedness from the, the whole, which most people want to feel like they're a part of. I mean, humanity wants to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. That's a positive experience to feel that way, to have some kind of identity tied with, you know, your country or your state or your, you know, whatever it is, your group of people. And he doesn't, he, he shows that really well as he's, as he's kind of ostracized from this, from this group. And another thing I think it shows really well, and this, this one might not be so prevalent. I mean, I think it is pretty prevalent and it's kind of an underlying factor in many things. But I think they show the idea of like 
selfishness very well, kind of with, especially with like Murray and, and with, with many different people with them being selfish for their own, for their own, either their own gain or just their own laziness or whatever it could be. Like Murray, for example, the talk show host wants him on the show for no reason other than to, that it will improve his ratings on the show, right? There's no other, there's no other thing. If it wasn't going to improve his ratings, if he didn't get positive feedback on the first time he showed the, the Joker's clip when he was doing in the comedy club, then Murray never would have put him on the show. And so there's this selfish drive for Murray to put him on the show. There's the selfish drive you see very briefly with the psychologist who completely has basically no interest in, in Arthur, in the Joker, and is just asking the questions and running through the running through the, the rings there. I really love the part in the movie when Joker says to her, he's like, you don't even care about me. You just ask the same questions every single week. I really liked that that section because it was just I don't know it just was very interesting because you would never want or th- think of a psychologist being that way or a therapist being that way but that's exactly kind of how uh, how they were being and how they were acting it was kind of uh, very interesting and a very kind of one of those moments where you're like wow you know like taken aback kind of just by the situation he's in and how truly no one actually cares and then there's there's even the selfishness of the mom and how she's so stricken by by Wayne by Mr. Wayne that he that she's willing to like write these letters and is claiming that that she is she is uh she is the Joker's or that he is the Joker's dad and like all this stuff where she's just consumed by this the idea of this lovely man and all of this stuff kind of in her selfishness of trying to like climb the social ladder and and get help and seeing him as like this perfect person or seeing Wayne as this perfect person where it's completely unrealistic and it's just delusional. And I think that even the Joker himself experiences a lot of a lot of selfishness in in just not taking responsibility fully for his, you know, emotions and 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 how he's completely and utterly consumed by them, which you I mean you can cut him some slack and say you know we're not gonna we're not gonna necessarily like ridicule him for being selfish, right? There's a whole slew of other things that you'd want to go through before getting to that one, but I, I do think that there's a lack of responsibility that's shown by the Joker in the movie where he he doesn't really. I mean, there's parts where he does step up to the plate a little bit, trying to like help himself, and definitely, obviously, the pieces were always put against him, you know, just with his upbringing with all that stuff, but you know it there's there's definitely a lack of responsibility on his part where he kind of gives up on the on the meds and he's kind of just succumbed to this all consuming um idea of being separate from society and being a result and a product of society instead of being an active role in trying to figure out his his purpose in society he, things kind of just happen to him and he reacts to lots of things and then also it has this very you know, this underlying tone of like self-fulfilling prophecies and kind of like this idea where everybody thinks I'm weird. So I, I am weird. That kind of becomes the identity that kind of becomes the, the, uh, the train of thought that you have when you think about yourself Um, in the Joker's situation specifically, there's many times in the movie where other people tell him, Oh, they, these guys all think you're strange. So you need to be more normal or, Oh, you need to, you know, they think you're super weird and they don't like being around you. So figure that out, you know, and it's, it's, it becomes this idea of like, well, that's what I am then, right? Like I'm, so I'll act that way. Subconsciously, you start, to, he starts to kind of 
act this way more and more and things start to slip more and more because it's just being reinforced and it's becoming this 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 fulfilling you know prophecy that's kind of like almost obvious that it was going to happen and and there's a whole lot other of of other like mental illness and things that are shown in the movie i'm sure if i tried to sit down and really pick it apart i i'd first i'd have to go see the movie again um which i would not mind for sure but like just there's there's a lot going on in the movie, and I think that's one of the things. Like I said, it's a reoccurring theme on the show. It's not just one thing. It's not just depression or stress or you know. It's just a combination of so many different things, and they show that really well in the film. And you know, I think that I think the brutality of the film fits in really well too. When I first heard, you know, some not I didn't like go and read reviews of the movie before I went and saw it, but I kind of. I wanted to, you know, I had heard a few things. Oh, the movie's so, you know, brutal and violent and all this stuff. And I expected there to be just so many action scenes and like all this blood and and just, you know, all this stuff, this insanity, chaos, because it's the Joker. But, you know, I was I was surprised that there really there was only like two or three overtly violent scenes and they were extremely fast in the film. I mean, there's the train killing scene where he's getting kicked and beat by these guys in the train and then all of a sudden, you know, he turns and pulls out the gun and shoots one of them in the head and shoots the other one a few times and then goes out and shoots the dude on the stairs a few times, which I'm pretty sure if he had a revolver, which I'm pretty sure he did, there's like only six bullets in a revolver and I'm pretty sure he shot like eight or nine times, but without reloading or anything. So, you know, whatever, we'll just look up, look past that one. I could be wrong there, but I just noticed that while I was watching. I was like, wait a minute. But, uh... You know, there's really only two or three overtly violent scenes. And yes, they were very, they were quite violent. The scenes were very, they don't shy away from showing you anything when in the violent scenes at all. They show the violence for sure. Oh, and then the last, obviously the other scenes were, what was the other ones? It was, there was the one, the second one was when he like stabs one of his friends to death with the scissors, like in the eye and the neck and all this crap. And that one, that one was pretty violent. I think the, the, hardest part about that scene almost was just this terrifying fear that he was going to kill the the smaller dude and because and I, I don't know I think the audience for the most part likes the smaller dude and so um, I'm forgetting his name but he you know there's like this fear that he's going to go for him next and and I think that tension builds really heavily in that scene very quickly and also just audibly just when his when that when the smaller dude is like crying out like oh my gosh like how could you do this and he's just crying and stuff like that whole part of the scene is done very well i think and it it was just brutal the way that his he's crying and like all this stuff it's just done in such a way that is very memorable and then obviously there's like one of the most memorable scenes in the entire show which is the very end when he's talking to um when he's talking to murray and he just freaks out goes on his rant and then just pulls out the gun and, and caps him right in the head and you know the blood hits the wall behind him and all this and but they all these all these scenes were so shocking and and they were so fast they all happened so fast and they were so like to to a point since it shows everything and and the audio is is so done well with this show is i mean they're they're quite terrifying in a way and i think that the reason that they chose these very specific three very violent scenes that had blood involved with them and were done in a way that where you just see exactly what happens um i think that made them completely completely unforgettable they're very vivid they're very and i think that was a very conscious choice on the on the part of the directors and the people who made the movie to kind of 
create these scenes where there's not a million violent scenes where you're going to forget all of them. There's just these very specific sequences that are filled with just fast, incre- just very, very fast and, and brutal violence. And I think that it makes you kind of be like, almost like how, how, how the Joker would feel since this is his first real stint with any of this. It kind of makes you feel like, wait, did he just really do that? Like, did that actually just happen? And I think that that's kind of how they convey how he feels about it to the audience. Because I think he would be, especially with the first killing where he kills the three guys on the train, I think he's almost like, I actually did this. I can't believe I actually did this. This is, you know, it kind of blows his mind and he, you know, harbors it and keeps it inside for a long time. And he's kind of surprised that he doesn't actually care too much that it happened. But, you know, I, I think that they convey that really well with just these very specific brutal sequences where it's just like, whoa, whoa, did that actually just happen? Like, that's that was crazy. That was very... And, they, and like I said, they just show you exactly what happens. And I really like that they... I mean, obviously, I don't love, like, seeing people get shot and stuff, but I'm just saying, like, it was it was done in a very, very specific way, in a way that's very... It was very. It was a very conscious choice, and it wasn't just like random violence for the sake of violence and things blowing up and all this other stuff. It was very specific sequences that I don't think anybody leaving the theater will ever, will forget for sure. And once again, I think it represents his descent into madness. Right? I mean, he's surprised that he shot those guys in the beginning, at least. I mean, obviously, when he kills his friend, it's a little bit more premeditated to some degree, and you know, it has he has something behind it at least. You know, where he doesn't like this guy that he's this guy that he's stabbing the scissor with. And so, you know, I just think it represents a lot of the, a lot of the movie is just these very quick, brutal moments. Um, but artistically, I want to get into some of the artistic stuff. I'm going to cruise through this stuff so we can wrap up the episode here. We're getting past the time here. But um, <clears throat> I think that just artistically, some of the stuff I really appreciated was there's like this sinister light that's glinting off of his pupils for most of the movie. And I really enjoyed that. I really liked the this really creepy eerie light that's like right in the middle of his eyes most of the movie you can kind of see it there especially when there's close-ups of his face you can see these little just the lights just reflecting off of his eyes in a really kind of creepy way and i would like to go again and watch to see if those lights are there throughout the entire film because most of the scenes you can kind of see them those lights especially like i said for the close-ups i'd like to see if that light kind of leaves as he you know, fully descends into this, you know, madness and, and losing his sanity. I would, that would be very interesting to see. I can't remember if it was there for the, for the final like close-ups of him. But, uh, another thing artistically that was amazing, honestly, one of the best parts of the film was the music. The music was so phenomenal. It was so good. So, so good. It built the tension perfectly. It, it reached, it built the tension perfectly up until the apex where all of, you know, the whole movie you're just waiting. Like, what's the thing he's going to do? What's going to be the thing that breaks him? What's going to be the straw that, that cracks the camel's back, right? Like, how is it going to go down? And the music is such a huge factor in this buildup. And I really, I really appreciated the the score for this, for this film. Definitely going to be listening to it. Um, I don't know if it's already released or not yet, but um, I'm definitely going to be releasing or listening to it when it is released. And like I said, artistically, I think the brutality of the movie was very, you know, chosen very specifically. It's very unforgettable and it's just the right amount to where you're not like, ugh, like grossed out and sick of it all, but just enough to the point where it's like, okay, that was a, a harrowing or a, or a shocking movie to some, you know, because of these scenes and because of all the other, you know, exposition given in between. Um, another thing artistically that I loved was that 
oftentimes the 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 lights in the film are very dim they're very eerie they're very like almost sickly even like a yellow shade a lot of times and it kind of made this like grim feel a lot of times kind of like a loss of hope or a kind of as i mean a, a descent into the madness right the lights of the film kind of um created the ambiance that that allowed that feeling to be conveyed to the audience i think really well and then paired with that i think that it was really cool how they put so much like every scene in the film had a lot in it there was a lot of clutter there's a lot of dirt and grime on everything there's a lot of like just nastiness like in the streets in his apartment there's a lot of like knickknacks on the shelves and books and and just you know scrap and newspaper all kinds of stuff just covering every all the tables and the shelves and all of this stuff and it almost made the shots of the film and and the feel of the film like claustrophobic to some degree and i think that also kind of helped build this tension of like chaos and and insanity and a loss of control in his life um just through the just through the set that they designed so i really i really liked that as well just the clutter that was everywhere in every scene um Inversely with that though, this, the scenes where there's like showing like the rich people or the scenes where there's like, you know, it go like when he goes to the opera and he sees, um, or the, the theater or whatever, and he, and he sees Wayne in the bathroom, like the bathroom is like spick and span clean. It's all white. It's like holy almost like, like just pure the window, the, the mirrors, the floor, the urinal, everything is just very white and clean. And even when he goes to the Wayne Manor, um, and like sees Bruce standing there. Uh, that's even quite like it's every the grass is cut perfectly. It's green. Everything is very clean. There's not dirt. There's no grime. Um, I think they did a really good job of just kind of. I mean, there isn't very many scenes where you see like the rich and the powerful in in these very clean environments. Most of it's pretty grimy and dirty. But they do. They kind of scattered just a couple. Um, circumstances or scenes where they where they have this kind of completely different flipped environment that I really liked. Um, another thing that I really really liked about the movie that they put in there was there's all these there's a lot of scenes where it has close ups of him smoking his cigarettes, and um, they they kind of capture that burning sound that the cigarette makes when he intakes it, and it's it and they have the glow as it kind of goes up on his face and just visually and audibly. It's a very – it worked so well for the film, I think. I think it kind of like represented to me like this like this ticking time bomb, like the – like the uh, you know, when you light a, light a match and, and light a firework and like the little fuse starts to go. It's kind of – it was almost like that, like that sound of just like the burning and the sizzling and it was kind of like the fraying or the burning of his sanity in a way as he moved through the film. And I just really liked the not only just the light of the of the you know hot end of the cigarette like lighting up his face as he smoked it, but just the sound was so um, like reinforcing to the content of the of the movie. It was just done so well there. And then uh, I think that the the blood smile that at the very end when he like wipes the blood up his face, I think that part was really cool. I think that was kind of like a symbolism thing for his like final acceptance of him losing his mind to some degree, like him submitting to being like the full product of society. He kind of it, like symbolically, it's almost like he, he realized now that his identity was, is this person, is this, this insane 
person. And now instead of just like hiding behind the facade of it through the makeup, hiding behind the clown face of the makeup and everything and, and having, cause you know, the makeup is fake. It's not him. It's not his actual skin. It's just, you know, paint over it. It's a mask. Instead of that, at the very end, he uses it's literally his own blood that's now acting as the makeup for the smile, and it kind of just gives this really creepy and eerie feeling of him kind of accepting this this new character, accepting this identity. And I really liked that that moment where he's standing on the car, and after his wreck, he's bleeding and broken a little bit, but he stands up and does his little little dance thing, and then does the blood smile. I, I just. It, it gave chills. It was very good, and and the music was fantastic there as well. Um, and then artistically as well, his laugh I think was everything. I think that his you know the laughter, the the illness he has where he just laughs uncontrollably for X amount of time. I think it's I think it's really it's done really well, and I'm glad that it was a thing in the movie because. I think obviously that laughter is one of the purest emotions of of like happiness. Like it's one of the greatest expressions of happiness is, is genuine laughter. And he he does these very hearty laughs, right? But he the thing that's so sad about it, and it just makes you sadder every time you hear it, is just how how juxtaposition these two things are. His his laughter is so empty and devoid of all happiness. And we know this because of the circumstances he's in and just like everything about the mental illness and all of these things, his laughter is completely empty. But the thing is, is since laughter is one of the most, you know, purest emotions someone can have, it's so sad that like his emptiness is kind of like embodied by the one emotion he can't experience correctly or he can't experience at all really. I mean, as he says in the thing, all he experiences are negative emotions, negative thoughts. And so it's, it kind of, it just makes you even feel more for him every time he does these laughter stints where he just keeps laughing because you know, you know that it's, it's fake, that it's, that it's sadness and he's mad and he wants to hide it. He wants to cover it up and it just has this malice and anger and hatred for it. And it's, uh, I really, I just really love that whole part because there's, it's just like two complete opposites of, you know, human emotion put into this character this war in this character and so you know i just really i really appreciated that bit as well you know the movie's great it's a fantastic film i think and there's plenty of things in this film that i think i you know obviously i think i missed there's a lot of stuff to be said about this movie i think that joaquin phoenix did an awesome 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 job especially given that he's in almost every single scene in this film I really loved the film. I think it's a solid movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. But if you haven't, if you're getting to this point in the podcast and you've, you know, you haven't seen the movie, then obviously you've been spoiled. <laughs> and uh, but no, it's it's a great movie. Go see it again if you have already seen it because it's fantastic. Um, it just has a lot to say. It also is just artistically very brilliant. I think. But I think that's where I'm going to wrap up this episode. If you enjoyed listening, you know, be sure to follow the podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, um, whatever you're listening to on it, you know, right now. Bed Letters on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, as well as a whole bunch of other platforms. Um, if you found this one interesting, obviously this this podcast isn't all about like reviewing movies or anything, but this one pertains a very specific role to the, um, you know, 
the purpose of this show. And so that's why I felt like I needed to do something with it. But yeah, if you found this one interesting, share it with your family, your friends, anybody who liked the Joker and is just curious on just more content and stuff to do with the Joker or anybody that, you know, loves podcasts or is interested in psychology and the mind and all that stuff. I really appreciate the shares. I really, really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Um, You can also follow me on social media to stay up to date with the show. Like I said earlier, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, It's just at C. Ashleman. That's where you can find my stuff and the stuff for Bed Letter. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I love you guys. It means a lot to me to have you listen. I really love doing this. And I hope you have an awesome week. And I will see you next time on Bed Letter. 